Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. So I want to show you guys a picture. We're going to start off, and I want to I want to show you a picture. If the slide guys can go ahead and throw that up there. This is a picture of what I believe God wants to do in our church. This, what you're seeing right here, this is a picture of life change through Jesus. This is actually my friend Amber. Amber is actually in my community group. Um, Over the past several months in our group, I've gotten the privilege to get to know Amber, to listen to her story, to see her grow in faith. God has been doing some wonderful things in Amber's life. And Amber, she is a brand new Christian. She's brand new to church. She's brand new to faith. She's brand new to reading her Bible. All of this is new to her. And what Amber told me is this, that her entire life, nobody had ever invited her to church that nobody had ever shared their faith with her, nobody had given her a Bible, nobody had told her about Jesus, and then she came to redemption, and then she gave her life to Jesus, she got saved, she got connected in the church, serving in a group, and then at her last baptism Sunday, Amber, she had the privilege to, to be baptized. And I just want you to look at Amber's face. Just look at the smile. Look at the joy. Look at the hope. I mean, when you see Amber, it looks like she is a brand new person. She went in the water one way. She came out totally different. That is a picture of what life changed through Jesus looks like. And that's a picture of what I believe redemption is supposed to look like. I actually have this picture. You can applaud for that. I actually have this picture hanging up with several others in our office. And every day as I'm working or, you know, doing counseling or laying out meetings or whatever it is that we do through the week, I look and I see this picture every single day. And it just reminds me of what redemption is supposed to look like. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start today a brand new series called Life Change Through Jesus. And it's a, it's a vision series. It's looking forward to everything that God wants to do in our church. And maybe you're new to redemption. Maybe you've been coming here for a little bit, hanging out, and you want to know, what is redemption all about? What does redemption look like? What does it mean for me to get involved here, to get connected here, to be a part of this church? I want you to know it's four words, life changed through Jesus. Maybe you, you, you saw it on the wall when you walked in, in the lobby. It just says, real big, life changed through Jesus. Maybe when you're getting out of your car, coming in to drop your kids off, You saw all the banners on the outside of the building that says life changed through Jesus. Maybe you went online and you went to the website and you, you know, trying to figure out the service times and you saw it says life changed through Jesus. And you're wondering what is redemption all about? That's exactly what we're about. Four words, life changed through Jesus. But I want you to know something, that this is not just something that we put on a wall. This is not just something that we put on a website. This is not just something that God has, 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 we write it across the building. This is something that God has put in our hearts, that we exist to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through who? Jesus. Life change through Jesus. But I also want to show you something else. Amber is not the only one who's in the picture. If you look, you'll see, yeah, Amber's the one who's being baptized, and Amber's the one that we look at when we see this picture, and we think, wow, look what God's done for Amber, but Amber's not the only one in the picture. I also want you to meet my friend Lisa. Lisa's also in my community group, and over the past several months, we've become really good friends with her family. And I just love seeing what God's doing in, in Lisa's life. And here's, here, here's the deal, is that whenever it was time for Amber to be baptized, guess who got the privilege to baptize her? It wasn't me. I was somewhere over there. Right? I was probably running around, you know, doing whatever it is, yelling and screaming, celebrating. That's probably what I was doing. Okay? But whenever it came time for Amber to be baptized, it, it wasn't me who got the privilege. It was It was Lisa. Because any time that Amber had a question about faith, Lisa's the one who helped her. Any time Amber had a question about the Bible, it was Lisa who got to 
Explain it to her. Anytime Amber was going through a hard time, it was Lisa who was there for her. Anytime Amber needed prayer, it was Lisa who would pray for her. Anytime Amber needed anything, Lisa was the one who was walking with her, leading her, helping her, guiding her, praying for her, and Lisa was the one who was blessing her. And so when it came time for Amber to go public with life change, it was Lisa who got the privilege to be able to do that. And here's why I'm showing this to you. It's because life change doesn't stop the moment you meet Jesus. Life change happens when you help other people meet him as well. See, some of us in this room, we need to experience life change like Amber. You need to give your life to Jesus. You're not connected to Jesus. You're not following Jesus. You're not serving Jesus. You're far from God. You need to be repentant and give your heart to him so that way you can experience life change too. But others of us, we've been going to church for a while and we haven't led anyone to Christ. We've been going to church for a while, and man, we, we haven't shared our faith. You went to Awanas, you went to Sunday school, you went to VBS, you grow up, you in the church, you know John 3.16, you have it all down, but you have not experienced life change like Lisa has because we're not doing our part. We're not being his witnesses. We're not serving. We're not loving. We're not caring. We come to church on Sunday and we leave as if nothing has ever changed in our life. See, some of us in this room, we need to experience life change like Amber, but for most of us, we need to experience life change like Lisa because life change doesn't stop the moment you meet Jesus. It really just only begins. Life change happens when you help other people meet Jesus as well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks as we start our brand new series, Life Change Through Jesus. And we're going to spend the majority of our study in the book of Acts. And each one of these stories that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks, they actually, they actually conclude with a baptism. Just like Amber and Lisa, each one of these stories, they have a, a baptism. And guess what? We're going to close out this series with a big baptism Sunday. Yeah. August 25th, we're going to have baptism Sunday. And I want you to know that... Here at Redemption, man, we love baptisms. And so if you have not yet been baptized, go ahead, fill out the Connect card, write baptism in there. We'd love to dunk you underwater so you can let people know that life change is for real. And we're going to be looking at this. And here's my hope. Here's my goal. Here's my prayer for us during this series is that this series will mark a catalyst, a moment, a movement of evangelism and discipleship in our church that you'll hear these stories and it will build your faith, that it will move you, that it will motivate you, that it will inspire you to go out and to be who God has called you to be so that way we can be the church that God knows that we can be. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter one and chapter two. That's right. I am fired up, ready to be back. I haven't preached in a couple weeks, so I thought I would do two chapters in one day. You know you love me and you've missed me. We're going to do two entire chapters in one single day, and I got about 50 minutes. We can do this. We can do this. Are you guys ready to read your Bible? Okay, good, good, because I am ready to preach. And you're wondering, why is he sitting in a chair? Don't ask. Four-year-old birthday party. I'm not young anymore. No more backflips for Pastor Byron. <laughs> so we're going to do all of Acts 1 and 2 today, and we're going to see the sermon title is this, Life Change Through Jesus for the Church. Because life change comes through Jesus, but life change, it starts with us. That we as a church have to get the heart for life change. Because while it comes through Jesus, he uses people like us. And so we're going to see this take place in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're going to read it all up front, and then I want to give six things that Jesus wants for us as a church. I'm fired up. I'm ready. Let's, let's do this. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, let's just pause right there. We got two chapters and uh, let's just take our time. We're going to make our way through it, I promise. So he says this, he says, in my first book, okay, so pop quiz redemption, who do you think wrote the book of Acts? Okay. It was a man named Luke. Now, bonus question, put on your Bible trivia hats, okay, 
Who else could you think of who might have possibly written a book of the Bible by a guy named Luke? You guys are so smart. Yes, Luke. And so Acts is actually the sequel to the book of Luke. Luke and Acts are really one book in two parts. He says, in my first book, I've told you all about Jesus, everything Jesus said, everything that Jesus did. In my first book, O Theophilus, I've explained to you who Jesus is. See, Luke, the gospel of Luke is all about what Jesus has done. It's all about how Jesus lived, how Jesus loved others, how Jesus hung out with prostitutes and paralytics and tax collectors, how Jesus water skied without a boat, fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable, told a storm to shut up. I mean, that's all the things that Jesus did in his life, that Jesus, he goes to the cross, Jesus dies, he resurrects. I mean, Jesus does some incredible things, and that's all in the gospel of Luke. And he says, hey, I've explained to you everything that Jesus has done. That's Luke. Acts is all about what Jesus wants to do. See, what Jesus does in you, Jesus also wants to do through you. Luke is about all the things that Jesus did, but Acts is about what Jesus wants to continue to do through us. And so I want to be very careful here. I want to thread the needle, and I don't want to diminish anything that Jesus has done, because Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is King, Jesus is everything, so I, no way do I want to diminish anything that Jesus has done. But here's, here's where I think we have a tendency to do, is that we have a tendency to focus on what Jesus has done, and we forget about what Jesus wants to do. See, for you and me, we say, yeah, that's what Jesus did for them, but what about for me? Jesus did it for them, but can he do it for me? Yeah, Jesus healed them, but can Jesus heal me? Yeah, Jesus changed their life, but can Jesus change my life? Yeah, Jesus did it for them, can he do it for me? Acts tells us he can. Acts tells us that if he did it for them, he can also do it again. If he did it for them, he can also do it for us. Because Acts is not just what Jesus could do, Acts is what Jesus wants to do. So yeah, let's focus on what Jesus did but let's not forget about what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants for his church to experience life change through Jesus. Now, if you think about it, the church really is the biggest thing on the planet. There is nothing like the church. There never has, never will. There will never be anything else like the church. Because today, right now, there are four billion people on the planet worshiping, loving, serving Jesus Christ as their king. Four billion people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnic background, every socioeconomical persuasion, worshiping Jesus today. But the church, it didn't always look this way. Today, there's 4 billion people in our church. Over three, three services, there will be about 300 people. How did it get here? 2,000 years ago, it started with 11. 11 people in an upper room in Jerusalem has grown into what we know today. How is it possible? How did we get here? How did this happen? Four words, life change through Jesus. And so as a church, we can't just look at what Jesus has done. We also need to remember what Jesus wants to do. If he did it for them, he can do it again. So we're gonna pick up and keep reading. Verse four, y'all with me? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you think back in Luke chapter four, we see that Jesus comes and Jesus is baptized. Before he preaches a sermon, before he heals a single person, before he does a single miracle, the first thing that Jesus does is he goes to his crazy oddball Rastafarian cousin, John the Baptist, and he baptizes him underwater. The Spirit descends like a dove. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. And it rests on him, and then Jesus goes and he enters into his 
ministry, but he doesn't do anything until after he receives the Holy Spirit. You think, how did Jesus do the things that he did? How did Jesus live the life that he lived? How did Jesus love and serve everyone perfectly? How did Jesus do that? It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus says. I was baptized by John, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Everything that I have done is now going to be available to you through the Holy Spirit. That the same power that enabled me for ministry is now the same power that is on you for your ministry. The same power that enabled me to live my life is now the same power that's given to you for your life. The same way I lived is now a way that you can live because the Christian life is not the life that you live for God. The Christian life is the life that God lives in you. That as a Christian, you have received the promise of the Holy Spirit. That God, the Trinity, the third person, he comes and makes up residence inside of you. He lives in you. He enables you, guides you. He helps you overcome sin, Satan, and temptation. That all of this is available to you. That's what Jesus is saying. That you will live under this Holy Spirit. He continues. So when they had came together, they said, Lord... Will you at time restore the kingdom of Israel? Just think about this. Jesus says, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. And they say, that's great, but when are you running for office? Are you going to throw your hat in the race? Can we get some bumper stickers made? Jesus 2020, like, is that what we can do? When are you going to become king? When are you going to set up a new empire? Right? Can we go kill some Romans now? Because that's really what we want to we really do. Life change is a process. Okay, it takes a little while. Give the disciples some time. Maybe they'll be a little different by the end of the sermon. So here's what they say. They say, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And here's what Jesus says. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think it's kind of funny. Here's what the disciples do. Okay, Jesus says, okay, here's the promise. Here's, here's everything that you're going to go and do, and here's what the disciples, they want to know. Jesus, well, when are you going to fix the world? Jesus, when are you going to change everything? This world is a dumpster fire. I mean, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. You see what all these people are doing? They nasty. Jesus, what are you going to do? Are you going to do something about this? Are you going to change the world? And Jesus says, no. I'm not going to change the world. You think, wait, what? Isn't that what we pray for all the time? Isn't that what we pray for? We say, Jesus, change the world. And then we even pray, Jesus, change our country. If my people would humble themselves and bow down and pray, then God's going to show up and he's going to just change and fix everything. We pray, Jesus, change our city. Some of you praying, Jesus, change my children. Jesus, do something. Jesus, fix this. And Jesus says, no. That's not my job. This may come as a shock to you, but Jesus doesn't change the world. Jesus doesn't change our country. Jesus doesn't change our, our, our nation. Jesus doesn't change our city. Jesus ain't going to change your living room. Jesus says, you will. See, Jesus, he doesn't change the world. Jesus changes people. People changed by Jesus. They're the ones who go out and change the world. You know how I know? Because he says, you will be my witness. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witness. See, some of us were waiting for Jesus to change things he's already called us to go do. Jesus doesn't change the world. Jesus changes you. When you get changed by Jesus, you'll go make a difference in this world. Okay, moving on. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said those things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Okay, those are angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. Okay, let's just be honest for a sec. How many of you here would also be looking up into heaven? Okay, yes, they're like, where did Jesus go? Somebody should have put a string on him. He floated away like a balloon. Okay, Philip, that was your job. We're tied Jesus down. I mean, just think about it. This is pretty strange. 
Okay, Jesus comes and he says, all right, here's what I've been doing. We've been hanging out for three years. You're my boys, you're my disciples. I've been investing in you. We've done some amazing things. I just got killed. I just resurrected from the grave. We've been hanging out for 40 days, eating breakfast burritos. And I'm telling you that I'm gonna, you're gonna go change the world and then peace out. Poof, Jesus gone. You're like, what? And then an angel shows up and says, hey, uh, why are you looking up into heaven? I'd be like, hey, give me a minute here. <laughs> and the angel says, nope, no time to waste. He gave you a charge to go be his witness. Why are you wasting your witness? Looking up into heaven, start looking around you. There's some things for you to go do. Stop wasting your witness, get to work. And they're like, okay, fine. The angel told me so. So here's what they do. What do you think they're gonna go do next? They do probably the most important thing that we could ever do. They go and they pray. The first thing the disciples do is they go and they pray. So verse 12, then they return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered in, they went to the upper room and they were staying, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. Okay, there's two disciples named Judas. Okay, one of them made it, one of them didn't. <laughs> How bummed do you have to be to be the other Judas? Like that's gotta, that's gotta be a bummer, right? They're like, hi, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus. I've come to share my faith with you. What's your name? Judas. Oh, I've heard about you. No, I'm the other Judas. Not that Judas, I promise. Okay, okay, just, just something to throw in there. Um, all of these were in one accord with themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. So here we have it. This is the first church. This is the launch team. This is the core team. This is the very beginnings of the church. We got 11 men. We got Mary, the mother of Jesus, a couple of brothers and all the ladies, they gather together. Redemption Church started with 30. Hey, today, Christianity is a movement of 4 billion. But on this day, there was only 11 men gathered together in this upper room. And they were beginning to pray. And they were beginning to believe that God was going to do something amazing in them and through them. And here's what they know. They know that they have been promised the Holy Spirit. They know that they have been told they were going to receive power to be witnesses. Jesus said, go change the world. They got an angel to say, chop, chop, move it. Come on, let's go do this. And then they just began to pray. Powerful things happen when the church prays. So they pray, and that's when it happens. Jump over to chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Okay, Pentecost is like Mardi Gras for Jewish people. It is a party. People from all over the world, they show up, they're celebrating. It's a big feast. It's a big festival. You have people from everywhere coming to celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. It's a big deal. And then it says they were all gathered in one place. Verse two, suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit is poured out just like Jesus said it would. That Jesus said, you're going to receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to go do some amazing things through the Holy Spirit. They got together, they prayed, and then everything Jesus said what happened, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. How do we know? because they all started speaking in tongues. Hey, how many of you ever heard somebody speak in tongues? Okay. It's a little weird, isn't it? Let's just be honest. It's, it's, it's a little weird hearing somebody speak in tongues. I want you to know something. Okay, Christianity is supposed to be weird. Christianity's been weird since day one. I mean, think about it. We worship a guy who was born of a virgin, died, rose from the dead, teleported up into heaven. I mean, he's gonna come back to judge the living and the dead with a sword in his mouth, with a robe dipped in blood and a tattoo down his leg that says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Christianity is a little weird. And you know what? It's supposed to be weird. And it's okay because some of you are weird and we love you. Welcome to redemption. We're a bunch of weirdos following Jesus. Christianity is supposed to be weird. And some of you, you're so worried about trying to fit in, you've lost the heart of Christianity. You're so worried about looking different, you've lost the heart of Christianity because from day one, Christians were meant to be just a little weird. Now, some of y'all are a little too weird, but 
We're, we're supposed to be different. And this is something that is very different. So how do you think people are gonna respond when this happens? Verse five, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, each one of them were hearing them speak in his own language. So they weren't just speaking gibberish, they were speaking in another language. So this would be like this, that if you're here listening to me today and you speak Korean, you would hear this in Korean. If you were here and you heard, spoke Portuguese, you'd hear this in Portuguese. If you were here and you spoke Spanish, you would hear this in Spanish. If you're here and you spoke German, you would hear it in German. If you're here and you were from Canada, you would hear me say, Jesus loves you, eh? Like that's Canadian. If you're here from... And if you're here from some backwoods place in Louisiana, I don't even know what y'all speak, but it would be perfect for you too. Because it's not just gibberish, it's actually a language that they're speaking and every single person is hearing it in their own native tongue and they were amazed and they were astonished. And here's what they said, are these not Galileans who are speaking? How is it that we hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Elamites, uh, Asia, Phygia, Phimalia, if you say it fast and say it bold, they think you know what you're talking about. Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, the entire world is present. I want you to think about it for a sec. He says, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And just after that, God sends the ends of earth to them. That's not in my notes, just something for you to pray about. And they were telling in their own tongue the mighty works of God. Okay, tongues is something a, a little weird, and it's something that's gonna show up a couple of times throughout our series. So let me give you a brief introduction, explanation for what the gift of tongues is. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural endowment from God to a believer. It is a spiritual gift. Here at Redemption, we believe in the gift of speaking in tongues. If you have questions about it, we have a whole series we did last year called Holy Spirit. You can go listen to the archives, it's in there. But what I'll tell you this today is that there are three different types of tongues mentioned in the Bible. The first type of tongues is what most people have. It's a private prayer language. That's actually what I have. I have a private prayer language of tongues. And, and so as, I, as I'm praying, I'm praying to God when I don't really know what to pray. That's a private language. The second one is a public gift of tongues. This is when the churches gather together. No non-believers are present. It's only brothers and sisters, and they're praying. And then sometimes God will use that person to be able to speak a word from God, always followed by an interpreter so the church can know how they're supposed to pray. And then there's a third type of tongues, which is a missionary gift that we see here. It's called xenolalia. Xeno is Greek for stranger. Lasia, lalia is for languages. So it's a strange language. It's whenever there's a person who loves Jesus, who wants to share the gospel with a person who does not know Jesus, but there is a language barrier. And right here, we see that God supernaturally allows through the gift of tongues for these people to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the mighty works of God in their own native language. This happens. We actually have missionaries that we support who have told us that they have experienced this very thing. Now, does it happen a lot? No. That's why it's called a miracle. Okay, if this happened all the time, it wouldn't be a miracle, it would be Tuesday. You'd be like, hey, what day is it? Oh, it's Tongue Tuesday, yabba dabba do, hallelujah. <laughs> but that's not how it works, it's a miracle. And, and a miracle by definition is something that does not happen often, but guess what? It does still happen, because this isn't what Jesus did. This is what Jesus wants to do. So what do you think people are going to respond? How do you think people are going to act? How are people going to believe? Verse 12, and they were all amazed. They're like, this is amazing, but they were also perplexed. Wow, this is, this is interesting. How are these poor rural Galileans speaking in our language? How can this be? Saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, now there's always going to be some people who mock. Here's what they said. He said, um, no, 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 no. They are filled with new wine. Some people are like, they're not, they're, they're not speaking in tongues. They're just drunk. They've been having some breakfast beers. Got a little fun at Pentecost. Partying a little too hard. They're just having some breakfast beers. They're not speaking in tongues. They're speaking in cursive. 
right? Some people, they're just, they're mocking, right? And then here's probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Hey, here, here it is. This is what it says. So they're like, no, 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 they're just drunk. And then here's what Peter says. Peter's like, I got to say something. I got to do something. And so it, it says, Peter standing up. So he gets up. Peter, standing with the 11, he lifted up his voice and he addressed them. He said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the morning. (laughs) It's only nine o'clock in the morning. We ain't drunk. I just love that. Some people are like, the Bible is boring. Only if you're boring and you read your Bible, because the Bible is actually very interesting. So he he says, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, but this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. Oh, he's quoting the Bible now. Oh, he's he's gonna preach a sermon. The church was born with the sermon. Some people don't like sermons. Some people are like, why does the church have to preach to me? Why does the church have to teach the Bible? Can we just have a conversation? Couldn't we just have a little coffee, little Bible study? Couldn't we get together and share our feelings? Why do we have to sit here and listen to a sermon? Here's the reason why. Because the church was born with the sermon, and the church will continue to grow through the preaching of God's word. Because anytime this word is open, the spirit who wrote the book loves to bless the book. Yes. And it starts with the sermon. And I don't know everything that Peter said, but it does tell us parts of Peter's sermon. And let me hear, it was a good sermon. Okay, I can't get into it all, but here's what he preaches over. He preaches over Jesus. If the Bible is not opened and Jesus is not preached, there was no church that took place. He preaches about Jesus, and here's what he says, that Jesus Christ comes and lives the perfect life, the life that we never could live. Jesus dies the painful death in our place, the death that we deserve because of our sins, and this Jesus, the promised Messiah, he resurrects from the grave, and he gives forgiveness to all those who believe. He preaches Jesus, and he starts with the prophets. And then he takes the prophets and he points it towards Jesus. And then he talks about the sacrificial systems and how the sacrifices, they really point to Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice. He talks about the priests pointing to Jesus. He talks about King David and how King David was a type of Christ, but Jesus comes as our better king and Jesus comes as our better David because Jesus is our Christ. And he connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. And some of you, you're here and you're reading your Bible and you're wondering, what does this all mean? Because there's a lot of stories in the Bible, but really every story is his story. It's about Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of heroes in the Bible, but there's really only one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. There's truth in this word, but there's really only one truth, and his name is Jesus. And as Peter preaches his sermon, he preaches about Jesus, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus is alive, and that Jesus is coming again, and that in this moment, you have an opportunity to be forgiven by him. He preaches Jesus. So what do you think people are going to respond next? The story continues. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They were presented with truth, and they realized that they have not lived as they ought to live. That Jesus came, and they didn't listen to him. That Jesus tried to tell them, but they wouldn't hear it. That Jesus presented himself to them, and they rejected him. They mocked him. They murdered him. That they were the ones who killed God. That it was their sin that held God on that cross, and that it was because of their sin he came, he died, so that way they could receive forgiveness. They were cut to the heart. Some people don't like conviction, but here's the deal. Conviction cuts the heart. Some people's hearts are so hard, the only way to get to them is for God to open them up a little It says they were cut to the heart. And so they needed to respond. They said, we have not lived as we ought to live. We have not done as we have ought to do. We have not said, we have not acted, we have not believed. We have not done what we are ought to do. Brothers, what do we do? And here's what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. How do we respond? One word, repent. He says, repent, 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 because it's repentance that brings the change. 
If we're all about life change through Jesus, it comes through repentance. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is that your face is towards your sin, your back is towards Jesus. You are born in this direction. You are not born right with God. You are born separated from God. And that your entire life is living headlong in the path of the wrath of God, eternally separated from him, bound in your sin, holding on through guilt and shame and condemnation, living in foolishness, wickedness, rebellion, and folly, sin. This is the direction that every single one of us were born and you know it in your heart. That's why every single morning when you wake up, there's that little bit of doubt, that little bit of angst when you look in the mirror because you have failed you more than anyone else. Repentance says, look to me. Repentance says, turn your back from your sin and turn your face towards me. It's what the Puritans say, living quorum Deo, that you're living in the face of God, that God, he sees you, that God, he knows you, that God, he loves you, that God, he forgives you, and that God, he changes you. That you don't have to be who you used to be. You could be somebody new. You don't have to do the things you used to do. You can, you can be somebody new. You don't have to live the way you used to live. You can have a whole new life. All you need to do is repent because repentance brings the change. Some of you today, you, you need to hear this, that you're like the people who are in the, in the upper room. You're like the people who are standing outside, who are, who are hearing the good news of the gospel and the mighty works of God. And as you hear this today, you're being cut to the heart that God is working in you, that God is working on you because the Holy Spirit wants to work through you, that you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to hear the gospel cut to the heart, respond through repentance so that way you can receive this forgiveness. I want you to notice something, that the good news of the gospel, it might start in the upper room, but it always pours out into the streets. What God did in that upper room, it did not stay in the upper room. It made its way out into the streets so people could hear this. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you cannot have a private one. It must always go public. What starts in the upper room does not stay in the upper room. Then it pours out into the streets. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you cannot have a private one. A relationship always goes public. And as you go public, people begin to respond. So Peter preaches. People begin to repent. And, And here's what he says next. He says, For this promise is for your children and for all those who are far off. Who's the one who's far off? It's you. 2,000 years ago, God had you in mind. On Pentecost Sunday, the birth of the church, God was thinking about you. You're the one who is far off. You were far from God. And even on that day, he had you in his heart. You were far off, 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 you are far off, but through him, you can have forgiveness, you can have grace, and you get the promise of the Holy Spirit. What started in the upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago has gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and it's made its way to an old warehouse in downtown Beaumont for all of those who are far off. And the Lord calls to himself, verse 40, and with many other words, it's a long sermon. (laughs) How many words? Many other words. And y'all are like, Pastor Byron, why are your sermons so long? Because I'm just being biblical, that's all it is. (laughs) With many other words, he continued to bear witness and to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then this is incredible, I want you to see this. Here's what he says. Verse 41, so those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Could you imagine what would happen if our church grew to 3,000 people in one single day? You're like, that's amazing. Like 3,000 people in one single day? That is absolutely incredible. If he did it then, he could do it again. Because this isn't just what Jesus did. This is what Jesus wants to do. Does God want his church to grow? Yes. Okay, you, know how, you know how I know that? Because he did it then. 
and he wants to continue to do it again. See, God loves it when people meet Jesus. God loves it when people give their lives to Jesus. God loves it when people are delivered from their addictions. God loves it when marriages are being reconciled. God loves it when enemies, they become friends. God loves it whenever people are sharing their faith. God loves it whenever community groups get birthed. God loves it when you use your gifts to serve the church. God loves it when people give. God loves it whenever the church grows because every single time the church grows, Hell is plundered and heaven is populated. That's life change through Jesus. He loves to see his church grow. And some people are like, well, is the church all about numbers? Well, yeah, in a sense. Because you just think about it. How many of you have kids, right? When you get them on an airplane and you're getting ready to go home, you're not, you're not walking through the terminal saying, well, I don't count my kids. One, two, three. I'm not counting because it's not about the numbers. No, you want to make sure you get home with all your kids, right? God wants to make sure the same thing. See, in the early church, they were counting. Somebody was there counting. They said 3,000. Somebody had to count. I mean, could you just imagine how tired Peter's arms are? He's like, 2,997, 2,998, 2,999. Hey, Bartholomew, how many is that? Eh, about 3,000. It's a pastor's math joke. About 3,000. Pastors add a little numbers every now and again. So, so he's baptizing 3,000 people in one single day. You think, that's a lot of Ambers, right? Which means we're going to need a whole lot more leases. Because who's going to disciple them? Who's going to pray for them? Who's going to teach them how to read their Bible? Who's going to bless them? Who's going to walk with them when they're having a rough day? Who's going to encourage them when they want to give up? If we're going to see this, life change like Amber, and we're going to need a whole lot more leases to make that happen. So the church, it explodes. The church, it begins to grow. 3,000 people in a single day. What do you think they're going to do next? Do you think after that, they're like, that was a great Sunday. Good sermon, Pastor Peter. Let's go to Chili's. Do you think that's what they did? Do you think, wow, such a good Sunday. I wonder what's going to happen next week. Well, time for me to go to work. Check my emails. Got ballet on Tuesday, taekwondo on Thursday night. Maybe go hang out with some friends on the week, weekends. Maybe get a little date night on Friday night. And then the church has no bearing on my life throughout the rest of the week. Do you think that's what they did? Do you think they just had a nice little Sunday service where they could show up, check their kids in, park their camel on time, and get out? No, that's not what they did. You know what happened? Their lives changed. You know why? Because when you experience life change, guess what happens? Your life changes. It doesn't look the same. They reoriented their entire life around this experience. Here's what it tells us happened. As we close out, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles and all who believed were together. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing to all who had need and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all people and the the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 11 men, 2,000 years ago, experienced life change through Jesus. And the world has never been the same since. You think, how could Christianity go from 11 men in an upper room in Jerusalem and has grown over the last 2,000 years to become the biggest thing that is on the planet? There is nothing like the church. There never has been anything like the church. The church is the only thing that Jesus leaves. The church is what Jesus builds. The church is what Jesus gave his life to. There is nothing like the church. The church is bigger than Google. The church is bigger than Amazon. The church is bigger than Target. The church is bigger than Walmart. The church is bigger than McDonald's. The church is bigger than anything that you can imagine. The church is unlike anything else and has done the most good in the world. Do you like hospitals? You should thank the church. Do you like universities? You should 
thank the church. Do you like the slavery is abolished? You should thank the church because people changed by Jesus, they're the ones who did it. There is nothing like the church that kings and kingdoms have come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here. That nations and empires have come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here. That Rome has been sacked and that Caesar is dead, but Jesus and his church, they're still here. That Jesus continues to grow the church. That tribes and nations continue to worship Jesus through the church. That philosophies and ideologies have come and they've gone. That politicians and and presidents have come and gone. Kings and queens, they're all dead. But Jesus Christ, he is alive and the church continues to thrive. How is this possible? Four words. Life change through Jesus. And if he did it for them, I believe he can do it for us. So here's what I want to do. That was my introduction, by the way. It's good to be back, right? I want to give you six things that Jesus wants for us as a church. Six things from this text that I think for us here at Redemption, this is what Jesus wants to do in our church because it really starts with us. And if we can get these six things, I believe that we can see that gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. So let me give you six things that I believe Jesus wants for us as a church. The first thing that I believe Jesus wants for us is to have a promise. Could you imagine if the disciples went out and tried to do all of this without the Holy Spirit? Could you imagine how that would go? If they were like, go change the world, they were like, you bet, I got it from here. No, that would have been very bad. If you think about it, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, they couldn't do anything right. I mean, they were jacking up the entire time. They couldn't do anything. I mean, Peter, he denied him. James, he argued with him. Thomas, he doubted him. Judas, he killed him. And they were with Jesus the entire time. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them to do it without Jesus? They would have failed because they could not do it. That's why Jesus says, you need more. You need the promise. You need the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. What Jesus is telling them is also something that's true for us. He's saying this. He's saying the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than having me right next to you. Did you know that as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit? You have something that the disciples did not even have through four gospels. You say, well, but they had Jesus. Right, they got to sit with Jesus. They got to tell stories with Jesus. They sat around the fire with Jesus. But you have something they didn't have. As a Christian, you have the promise. What the disciples had to wait for is given to you the moment you meet them. You have the promise. And here's what he's saying is this. He's saying that the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus right next to you. How many of you, you would say this? If only Jesus was here, then everything would be different. If only Jesus was right here, then I wouldn't have these temptations. I wouldn't have these struggles. I wouldn't have this doubt. I wouldn't fight with my wife the way that we do. I would be able to you know, raise our kids. I would be able to go to work. If I only had Jesus right here, then everything would be better. Wrong. The disciples couldn't do it. What make you think you can? The disciples needed something more. They needed the promise. And then they got the promise. And that's when everything changed. So as a church, do we have the promise? You bet. God indwells in his people. That we have received the Holy Spirit. That the same ministry that Jesus was able to go out and do, enabled through the Spirit, is the same ministry that we are continuing by the Spirit. As a church, we have the promise. But here's what I want us to do. Sometimes we go out in our own effort and in our own strength, and we think we can do it without the promise. How often do you try to live your life without the promise? Say, I can do it. Not without the promise. I can make it. Not without the promise. 
You need the promise. The second thing the church needs is this. The church needs the power. In Acts 1, it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In the Greek, that word power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. In the 1800s, there was a Swedish chemist. His name was Alfred Nobel, and he invented dynamite. And he called up his buddy and said, hey, what is uh, another word for power? And he said, dunamis. And that's where we get the term dynamite. Now, what happens when dynamite goes off? People notice, right? I mean, you know whenever dynamite goes off. Dynamite doesn't go pop. Dynamite doesn't go, dynamite doesn't go, no, that's not what dynamite does. You know what dynamite does? Dynamite goes boom, and when dynamite explodes, people pay attention. And Jesus says, that's what I want for my church. I want for my church to have power. I want when the church is happening, people take notice. I want when church is going on, people pay attention. When there's power in your life, people begin to change. People begin to take residence. People begin to see what God's doing in you, and they know that something has happened because when dynamite goes off, it goes boom. But you know what? So oftentimes, we expect the church to grow through programs. If we could just get the right program, if we could just get the right events, Jesus didn't say, and you will receive a program. Jesus didn't say, and you're going to receive a promotional package. He didn't say, you're going to receive PR, nice little Facebook ad, some Instagram stories. We're going to do a Twitter campaign, and we're going to send out mass market emails. Oh, it's going to be amazing. We're going to hang some flyers on the door. That's going to be how the church is going to grow. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say, you're going to get a program. He didn't say, you're going to get a PR. He said, here's what you're going to get. You will receive power. So often we rely on other things instead of resting in the power that he has given us. Does Redemption Church have power? I don't think we have access to power the way that God wants us to. I think we've seen little pocket explosions. I think we've seen community groups and, and, and serve teams and baptism Sundays, and we've seen people get the power, but I don't think that we as a church have experienced the power that Jesus says is available for us. I think that God wants more for us. I think that God has more for us. I think that there is a power waiting for us, and all we have to do, it's available, it's in us, but we need to access this power. And when we as a church grasp this power that's for us, boom, the city of Beaumont better watch out. Boom, your neighbors better watch out. Your coworkers better watch out. Your family, your friends, that they need to take notice because God's going to do something amazing. I believe he wants the church to have power. The third thing is, is I think he wants the church to have purpose. How many of you struggle with your purpose? You're like, God, what is my purpose? I just want to know what my purpose is. Lord, could you just please tell me your purpose? Because people say, Pastor Byron, what is my purpose? What does God want for me to do? I don't know what my purpose is. What is my purpose? Some people are so paralyzed looking for their purpose, they never actually accomplish it. What is my purpose? You don't even have to ask. I'll tell you exactly what your purpose is. You don't even need to pray, what is my purpose? I'll just tell you straight up. Jesus says, it's the last thing he says. He says, I put it at the end because I wanted you to read it. I put it at the first of the book because I wanted you to read it and you still didn't read it. Okay, here's what it says. He says, here's your purpose. You will be my witness. Your purpose is to be his witness. Whatever you do, anywhere you go, that's your purpose. Go be a witness. As long as you are his witness, you are living in your purpose. Go and be a witness. Stop waiting. Go witness. Now, what does that look like? Well, that's up to you. God has so much freedom for us that we can live out our purpose however we want. You can, you can live out your purpose at work. You can live out your purpose at home. You can be a single mom. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a working mom, and you can still live out your purpose. You can be married. You can be single. You can be divorced, and you can still have a purpose for your life. You can live out your purpose in the plants or at the refineries. You could do it at the schools. You could do it at the hospital. You could do it at the gym. You can live out your purpose at Starbucks. You can live out your purpose in your living room. You can live out your purpose on the serve team. You can live out your purpose anywhere you go, everyone you meet, as long as you are a witness 
witness. You are living in your purpose. Go be a witness. You say, but I don't know how to do that. That's why we're doing this series. You say, but every time I go witness, I get really nervous. Maybe you're nervous because you're about to discover your purpose. As long as you are his witness, you are living in your purpose. Go be my witness. The fourth thing Jesus wants us to do is Jesus wants us to pray. If there is one thing that I regret planting this church is that I did not pray. I prayed small prayers and I believe I limited what God wanted to do because I was a coward when it came to my prayers. If there's one thing that I regret in our church is that I did not pray. I prayed small prayers. My prayers were like this. My prayers were like, God, please let somebody show up today. My prayers were like, God, please let somebody give more than a cigarette butt and a marble. God, would you just please not let this fail because I really don't want to disappoint my wife and I really don't want to go back waiting tables. Could you just, just please, please, please? See, I was begging God to do something that he promised he would do. I limited God by the size of my prayers. My prayers, my prayers were so small. My prayers were like, God, I just pray that 150 people would show up and we get a nice little place we could rent from month to month down to town. Then I would just totally be happy. And it didn't even take God three years to answer every single prayer I prayed. I guess that means our church is done now though, right? I mean, God's like, Byron, I already answered all your prayers. Time for me to move on to the other churches now. Do you think that's what God's doing? No. We have an opportunity to pray. See, the disciples, they, they knew that something was promise, they have purpose, they have power, but they hadn't received it yet. So what did they do? They got down on their knees and they started praying. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they said, do we have the promise yet? Nope, keep praying. Do we have the power yet? Nope, keep praying. Do we have the, the purpose yet? Nope, keep praying. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they said, boys, get in here. We gotta pray. They said, bring the ladies in here. We gotta pray. Mary, mother of Jesus, come on. We gotta pray. And they prayed, and they prayed, and it was through their prayers. That's when the power came. Acts 1, they prayed. Acts 2, they got power. The power only comes after the prayers. See, some people want power, but they don't want to pray for it. They just expect for it to show up. It doesn't come without prayer. It's the prayers that bring the power. And I have to repent to you, Redemption. I have not led you the way that I should as your pastor. I have not prayed as your pastor the way I should pray. I have not modeled prayer for our church the way that we should pray. I have not taught prayer as a church the way that we should pray. And I believe that I've robbed our church because I have not prayed. That changes today. Our church will learn how to be a praying church. So here's what we're gonna do. Starting in September, on first Wednesdays, we're gonna have prayer meetings up here at the church. All community groups will be withheld, canceled that one week of the month. No groups will meet. Child care will be available. And on Wednesday nights at 6.30, for how long? I don't know, but we will be a church that prays. And we're going to pray, 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 and we're going to believe that God wants to do something in our church. Because the power only comes after the prayers. The fifth thing is this. Jesus wants for his church to preach. Hey, I am so excited that Romans chapter eight, we got to see some men in our church answer the call for ministry and begin preaching. Our church is a church built on the word of God because this word is not just speculation. This word is revelation and this word always brings transformation. And so I'm so excited that we have some men who are answering the call into ministry. We're raising them up, training them, giving them some opportunities. We also have some amazing women in our church that teach. Some of the best teachers in our church are the women. They lead special conferences, special classes, special groups. We're doing training and seminars and workshops. And it's because people in our church have caught a passion, just like Peter, to stand up, to be gifted by God, and to begin to teach. Our church is a church that preaches 
is that will continue to teach. And I'm believing that God is raising up leaders in our church. Jesus wants for his church to preach. And then the last thing Jesus wants for his church is Jesus wants for his church to put this into practice. If you could throw that picture back up on the screen, I want to show this to you. If you see this picture right here, this is only possible when we practice what it means for us to be a church. You see Amber experiencing life change through Jesus, but it's because Lisa practiced what God had done in her. How many of you know someone who does not know Jesus? This could be them, and that could be you if we practice what God has told us to do. He says, day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers. How many of you are praying for someone that they would come to know Jesus? This could be them and that could be you if we practice. How many of you, there's somebody that you've been on your knees and you think, man, if they could just experience what Jesus has done in my life, then everything would be different. It can be different. And that could be them and this could be you if we practice. You say, how do I do that? If you have the promise, it's possible. If you have the power, it's possible. If you have the prayers, if you have the preaching, if you have the purpose, and if you put it into practice, it's possible. Because it's not only what Jesus can do, it's what Jesus wants to do. This is what life change through Jesus looks like. And it starts with us. It starts with the church. Some of you today, you need to experience life change like Amber. Give your life to him. Others of you, you need to experience life change like Lisa, and you need to get connected, get involved, and start helping some of these other people grow in their faith now. That's the goal of this series. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.